Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Tonight, a conversation with political commentator and syndicated radio host, Eric Erickson. Regardless of who becomes governor, Georgian tend to be very pro-business. They're all very chamber of commerce, except yeah. at the, out the outer edges of both parties. So economically, it's not going to be very disrupted. I, I think where you see it is, is things like criminal justice reform. Yeah. Brian Kemp is probably the preserver of the status quo. Yeah. And ironically, Stacey Abrams would be much more of the preserver of the status quo than either of the other two Republican candidates running. Eric Erickson, coming up right now. My guest tonight is a best-selling author and host of the Southeast top radio program, the nationally syndicated Eric Erickson Show. Love and respect to you, Eric. How you doing, man? I'm Welcome great. to the Thank show. Thank you so it's much for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here. Um, you're a white Christian male born in the South, but you did not grow up Southern. I didn't. You grew up in <laughs> Dubai, which is where all the IG models get paid to go to now. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I don't necessarily see you as, you know, thunder thought a lot. Yeah. But how did you end up as a five-year-old white child uh, who's a Christian in an all-Muslim country that many years ago? Oh, gosh. we're the same age. We're both 46. Yeah. So my dad, in 1980, my dad worked for Conoco Oil okay. uh, in the Gulf of Mexico from Louisiana. Uh, and I remember as a small child occasionally we'd have to get up and we would drive him two hours from our house down south of New Orleans to get picked up to go off to his oil rig. And when I was five, his company said, pick Canary Islands, Indonesia, or Dubai. And he picked the Canary Islands. And they said, okay, pick Indonesia or Dubai. And he picked Indonesia. They said, okay, Dubai. And <laughs> we went out there, goes, right. 80 to 90. We would come home during the summer. The coolest part about it was every three months, if you were an American, your visa was expired. My dad's company would say, pick a place and go for a week. And so I've still been to more countries than states just wow. through that. It was a great way to grow up. But it was also very weird to yeah. be very mindful of the fact that, like, for example, to go to church, you couldn't go to church in the day. The Sabbath was Friday and Saturday mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. So on Sunday night, there would be a group church somewhere. When we first got there, you had to bring your Bible, you know, you had to literally carry it in your hand, otherwise it wasn't going to be there. Yeah. Um, but over time, it, it got looser and looser. Was it a hostile environment? The reason yeah. I ask is because amongst black Muslims and Christians, there's always been a pretty cool relationship. There's a big Muslim community in the West End here, big mm -hmm. Christian, of course, community on the West Side, because it's virtually all black at the time I grew up. But everyone kind of got along as neighbors pretty well. Was it hostile or? No, we didn't even live in a gated neighborhood. We just we lived out in a neighborhood. We walked to school. Uh, there were parts of the Middle East that were much more hostile and repressive. I had friends, actually, when I was a kid who went to Saudi Arabia during Ramadan. They were in a volleyball tournament. So, you know, here you go from, like, North Atlanta to South Atlanta yeah. to play sports. In Dubai, you'd go to Jordan, Syria, gotcha. Egypt. And so they went during Ramadan, and they actually got held down by the religious police there and spray-painted their legs black because they were showing skin oh, during yeah, Ramadan. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but in Dubai, it was pretty laid back. The Americans had liquor stores they could go to if they had an American passport. Yeah. The only allowed church was a British Anglican church because they had been a British colony. Yeah. Uh, but as long as you 
you were at night and quiet about it, you could go to church generally. Do you feel a sense of duty to lead a dignified life, one that he and your mom would be proud of? Yeah, I, I do. Um, you know, so I do, I do talk radio now, pretty good at it. Yeah. I went to law school, though, and my mom to this day still tells me, keep your law license if this radio thing doesn't, <laughs> doesn't work, work out. out. You can be a lawyer. I don't want to be a lawyer again. But My, <laughs> my grandfather grew up with no father, and I always wondered why he was so kind and loving and patient with us, and we had stories of a younger, wild childhood mm -hmm. with him. Like he shot a couple folks, maybe one lived, maybe what didn't. We didn't know what Willie did as a younger Willie. But as an older man, he was very caretaking, very concerning. And my sister would say, my sister went to Dillard, it was all honors. She said, you know, granddad was never going to go out and be in a crowd, but he told me I'd be home when you got home from the program for one of the awards. And he was on the porch every time I did. So, you know, it's amazing how different fathers from the working class have had to operate differently and the kids that get past whatever dramas or traumas we right. perceive and make sure that connection is there. So I just like you know, this it, it, It's funny you, you should say that because I've had this conversation with my oldest now. She's 16. Yeah. In 16-year-old girl in, in school drama and stuff, and she was talking about... Um, we had incidents in our house several years ago related to my job, and yeah. uh, so she went to a counselor and talked about it and stuff, and it's just, and she made some offhanded comment about it. And I said, you know, Evelyn, you, you, it's the trauma in your life. You're either going to define it or it's going to define you. And that's, that's your choice. And I feel like that with my family and, and stuff growing up. When I was 11 years old, my parents let me fly home by myself from Dubai to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. The plane crashed. I knew one person on the plane. And maybe I shouldn't say it crashed. It landed without wheels on a foamed runway in a foreign country. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I got stuck by myself in Amsterdam overnight uh, as an 11-year-old and had to figure it out. And I tell that story, and my wife's like, that's... That's child abuse. I can't believe your parents. It's like, that's the way I grew up. I remember kids flying by themselves. Like, I remember going on Eastern Airlines by class. It wasn't by ourselves, but it was a bunch of us. Right. You flew down to Orlando. I think you shopped, bought some souvenirs from your mom up. <laughs> I remember Lash Kiki in. I remember riding right. the trains by myself at 10. My grandfather worked in a lumber yard at 10 years old. So progression is happening, even right. if we want to acknowledge the progress. But I remember having a 16-year-old daughter, and now she's 24. But boy, those can be interesting times. Oh, my gosh, You got yes. my prayers. And <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> let, let me ask you. So I've listened to WSB a very long time. Mm -hmm. I've listened to conservative radio and more liberal radio. So Shelly Winters, um, i got to give Shelly a shout-out, who's now oh, yeah. a compadre of yours. He's, he's on at night. You're on in the mornings there. Um, I followed from liberal radio from WALK over. Um, but I've listened to Bortz when he was there. I listened to um, Kane. Um, I've found it better for me to understand the totality of interpretations for how the world is going on. So it's helped me. You know, that's where I discovered right. Clark, stuff like that. You are, have a different perspective in Atlanta say Neil. When Neil was on board, he would say something radically insane about, don't go into Atlanta, you're going to be murdered. And he'd <laughs> take his co-host Royal and Donna say, oh, Neil, you're, you're, you're exaggerating there. But now he's on Twitter, and God bless, um, he's just going crazy. <laughs> but you don't, um, you don't subject Atlanta to the same, I guess, um, whipping post. You don't tie it to Allman Brothers' song. You don't tie Atlanta's a city to the same whipping post. You're critical, you critique. But what should people know about this city that they may not? Because people who come here often tell me it feels different than what they perceive. You know, I live south of the city. I come in regularly. I bring my kids up. And I, even, even here in Georgia, I was like, oh, I can't believe you hear about the shootings in Atlanta. You can't go up there. It's like, yeah, they were all at 1 o'clock in the morning. I'm, I'm, I'm not going out at 1 o'clock in the morning. I, I'm old and got kids. i got to be in bed. But, I mean, gosh, wherever I go in the city, I don't feel unsafe Amen. in the city. And I feel like there's always someone who's willing to help or offer help. 
uh, you, you get lost in the city, you're going to make a new friend. It's It really is a fun place. I grew up in Dubai and then so rural Louisiana. I mean, people in Georgia, apparently, they count how small your town is by stop. We didn't have stoplights. It was so small. Oh, wow. We, we had the state middle institution. That was our biggest, biggest industry out in the middle of nowhere. And I came to Georgia and Atlanta's uh, the big city. Yeah. And it is a fun place. Yeah. And I love to eat in their restaurants everywhere that I agree. Yeah, I tell people all the time that this place is a small town masquerading as a big city. Yes. And I hope we never stop being that. They're, they're my grandmother, who's not famous, not known at all, could get to Andy Young's mayoral office within six phone calls. Mm -hmm. Takes me one or two maybe. And what I do like about this town is that there are people who know their, still know their legislators. There are people who still got to know one another, know their neighbors. And if we could solve the housing problem and make sure people can actually live in a house 20, 30 years long term, I think we could save lives. So I'm glad well, to hear you say you it. You know, and I would say, unlike a lot of places in the South, having grown up in South Louisiana, New Orleans and all, Nobody wants to know who your daddy is. They just yeah. want to know where you're from. Yeah. And and then you're you're now from Atlanta. It doesn't matter whether you're from Houston or San Francisco. Absolutely. You're now from Atlanta. Absolutely, absolutely. We're we're both considered political. I don't always consider myself political, but people look at me politically to the left, people look at you politically to the right, but we both seem to be willing to and are advantageous at talking to people from the other side talking in a loving and respectful way. Doesn't mean we're blind with love and everything's gonna be okay. Doesn't mean that we agree all the time, but there's a respectfulness to your show and you talking to people that you don't find on that side. And there's a respectfulness that I like to bring to these conversations that doesn't judge, doesn't accuse, doesn't make you culpable for everything that's ever happened from the side of the right. How do you manage to do that? And what encourages you to keep doing it in these days and times where politicizing polarity from a polar opposite makes a lot more money? Yeah, well, it, it's, I can't say that I was always that way. Um, hey, gosh. That's a great way to start. Too. Five years ago, I guess, I nearly died. Of, like, literally nearly died. But you're on um, the plane crash. Uh, no, no, that was when I was 11. That's what I'm saying, yeah, but you're yeah. on that. You, yeah, God yeah. tested okay. you twice. So, <laughs> gosh, you know, all bad stories start in CrossFit gyms. I, I decided to, to try to get in shape and lose weight, and I couldn't keep up. And it got worse and worse and worse. And sometime around March or so of 2016, I was stopping going up the stairs at night, and my wife's like, you gotta go to the hospital. I was like, I had a trip, so I went on the trip, was miserable. Went to the hospital, and next thing I know, they're strapping me down, down and saying, sir, you're about to die. Uh, oh, wow. I had dozens of blood clots in my lungs, not just one or two. Oh, wow. Uh, my blood oxygen level was about 80%, um, and I was in the hospital for two weeks. Uh, the day they wheeled me in to the ICU. Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. Unit, my wife got a call. She had had some health problems years before, and the Mayo Clinic called her and said, We think you got lung cancer. To uh, your you wife. Know, to my wife. So the day that I got in the hospital, and literally, it's like call your family. 
Uh, everybody needs to come in. We don't know that you're going to make it in the next wow. 24 hours. My wife was diagnosed with an incurable form of genetic lung cancer um, all in one day. And after that, I was like, you know, it, my priorities are probably a little screwed up. I need to be more in touch with my kids. I wrote a book to my kids on the things you need to know and realized in writing the book, politics really isn't that important. Yeah. You're, knowing your next door neighbor is way more important. Yeah. And so through all of that, uh, I enrolled in seminary a couple of years before that and realized how much I was twisting my faith to my politics and my politics to my faith. Yeah. I came out of that thinking, you know, I don't need to be the person that I was in relating to people because if we're all made in the image of God, we've all got something to teach each other. Absolutely, absolutely. You um, had a relative, we were talking to die, die of COVID, and you are extra critical on those who misinform now. Um, COVID is dangerous, diseases are dangerous, viruses are dangerous, but we've seen something different in COVID and that I don't know a person that's untouched. Mm -hmm. I don't know a person that hasn't lost or nearly lost someone. And typically on the right, you're fighting for freedoms. You're fighting for the freedom for saving my own body, your constitutional rights, things of that nature. But on this one, you kind of broke them and said, no, it's not right to misinform people. It's not right to disagree with science. We have to do this. Did simply the death of your relative do that, or did witnessing the deaths of those who couldn't necessarily financially afford to live with it or financially afford to take care of burials and things of that nature? Was it more of just that one thing well, that said? No, it, uh, it actually was, was something completely different. It was after the 2020 election and seeing so many people on my side embrace a lot of lies about what happened and then see this virus start coming up. Mm -hmm and people are doing the same thing. Yeah. And it's other people are believing the lies and it's costing them their relatives. You should not have to have something bad happen to you or your family to understand what the truth is. And I, I've become really in the last number of years concerned with, I mean, you and I can look at an issue and come out with a different conclusion, but we're looking at the same thing. And people no longer even want to look at the same thing. And so I, I started talking about the virus on my radio show back in January of 2020, saying, take this seriously, and seeing so many people who didn't. And my aunt, uh, and you know, this is the South, uh, she's, she is not a blood relative. She is my mother's lifelong best yep, friend. that's your auntie. Is my yeah. Absolutely. I, I mean, I never didn't call her to my To be aunt. respected as such, absolutely. Yes. I mean, the only woman outside my family who could spank me. Absolutely. She was also my kindergarten teacher. I loved her. And she got asthma, uh, had a horrible asthma, and she did every precaution she could. And she got it uh, in the hospital, it spread, and she never left the hospital. And I couldn't go to the funeral. Um, and then my wife with lung cancer, I gotta be careful. And to have friends of mine say, this really isn't real. Yeah. When I'm like, I know people who I love who have died from this and you don't even think it's real. Yeah. There's something profoundly spiritually wrong with the country when we get to that point. Yeah. So we gotta do more with each other to help each other. Yes. And, and, and to and argue points not, online. Not be mad, there's so many people who get angry like, I think you should get the vaccine, but I understand people who don't, the hesitancy, yeah. real world problems, um, concerns. So don't be mad at people, love them, but yeah. you can disagree. You were not pro-Trump in 16. <laughs> no. I was not pro-Hillary in 16. You were even asked if you wanted to choose between Trump or Hillary with a gun in your head, you said, I'd take the bullet. <laughs> I, was yeah. like, I was like, that's a little extreme. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to quit, but um, you later came around um, in support of Trump in some capacity or that he had done a fair enough job. So then in 20, you, mm -hmm. you, shifted, you shifted with him, right? Um, the 2020 election, so many people who supported him are saying stolen election. Right. 
Is that going to hurt the GOP, and is that going to hurt your candidate? You know, I, it could. When you look at the, when you look at the runoff in Georgia, yeah, I, mean, I can give you the precise number was four hundred twenty-seven thousand two hundred five of seven hundred thousand people uh. were Republicans who voted in the general election and never showed up in the runoff. Had those Republicans had half of them shown up, yeah. Uh, David Perdue would have beaten John Ossoff, had just half of them shown up, yeah. even less than half. Yeah. But they talked themselves out of running, talked themselves out of winning. Uh, they believed the lie yeah. and decided to stay home. And yeah, if, if they continue to believe the lies, and I continue, I get angry phone calls even from my listeners who know like, we, we've got to deal with 2020 to get to 2022. Mm -hmm. I, I was an elections lawyer. That kind of informs my perspective on it wasn't stolen. But yeah, people will talk themselves into or out of anything they can. What is Georgia's political outlook for you, not only in terms of who wins this election, but as a state, where do we go? Because Southerners, be they black or white, tend to be more conservative in their thoughts and ideas with how, how things progress versus right now at this time, things seem to be pushed in a more right. left place. Regardless of who becomes governor, Georgian tend to be very pro-business. They're all very chamber of commerce, except yeah. at the, out the outer edges of both parties. So economically, it's not gonna be very disrupted. I, I think where you see it is, is things like criminal justice reform, yeah. uh, with if it's David Perdue or Vernon Jones, how further right does the GOP go in mm -hmm. terms of sounding like and advocating Donald Trump becomes more populist, less conservative. Mm -hmm. um, so I, it, it's kind of interesting to me, I think in perspective, Brian Kemp is probably the preserver of the status quo, mm -hmm. and ironically, Stacey Abrams would be much more of the preserver of the status mm -hmm. quo than either of the other two Republican candidates running. Part of what made me pay attention to him at campaigning was the gun commercial. <laughs> yeah. I'm Brian Kemp. This is Jake, young man interested in one of my daughters. Yes, sir. Two things if you're gonna date one of my daughters. Respect. And? A healthy appreciation for the Second Amendment, sir. We're going to get along just fine. Brian Kemp for governor. All right, so, you know, people were mad about the gun commercial, but if you've had a 16-year-old daughter, 18-year-old daughter going to the prom, even if you didn't pull a gun, right. you felt like it. I had you that know? happen to me. <laughs> I had that happen to me when Dad I was 16 showed up with a gun at oh, the door. He, when I brought her home, he was on the front porch with a shotgun. I kissed a Muslim girl at Grady High School summer program. I kissed her, and her father showed up the next day. <laughs> and said, you are marrying my daughter. Wow. And I'm like, what? He's like, you have defiled my daughter. She was out of the black Muslim community. And that's what taught me. You don't go around just kissing right. every girl yes. if you don't got the best intentions. But, but that commercial, I understood. Mm -hmm. I understood that commercial because I'm a Southerner. Mm -hmm. I got that it wasn't serious. I got it was hokey. And it was effective to me as Warnock holding a puppy in his commercial. Right. No matter what you do, you can't hate a guy with a puppy. Yeah. So Warnock warned from the Dem side, Kip warned from the Republican side. But in matters of owning guns, I take the right to own and, and use a firearm, if need be, as seriously as I take the right to vote. Frederick Douglass, who was also a Republican, right. was famous for saying that the rights of black people rest in three places, the ballot box, the jury box, and the cartridge box. Mm -hmm. um, Ida B. Wells said that a Winchester rifle, which is essentially AR-15 today, deserved a place of high honor in every black household. My great-grandfather let me know that guns were important. Um, where are you at in terms of gun ownership, gun stance? Are you in line or in tow with, with constitutional carry, which may be coming yeah. to Georgia? You know, well, I let my concealed it. carry lapse and, and during COVID, and I don't want to have to go back and try to go through that process again. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I was never a gun person growing up. Uh, I, I don't like them. I'm scared of them. I don't like them in the house. Yeah. 
In 2016, I didn't back Trump, and we had three people show up at our house to threaten us, and became very much an advocate. And I, I never didn't support gun rights. I, I've been a huge advocate of the Second Amendment all my life, yeah. uh, as long as I can remember. I, I like the idea of people being able to own guns. I just didn't like them myself. Yeah. Now I have a lot of them. Uh, my wife has more than me. She's she's way more pro Second Amendment than I am. She wants a gun in every house and every any every drawer and every room. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I I do think we have a constitutional right, and there's so much. So many of the people who talk against guns clearly have never tried to buy a gun. Yeah. The the statement, I want to have it as easy to vote as it is to get a gun. Well, every time I've bought a gun, I've had to sit around and wait, wait for the ATF to give me permission <laughs> yeah. to get I it. I vote faster. Clearly, yeah. a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> um, I, I'm, I, people should have a gun and learn how to use that gun. Yeah. The biggest tragedies in this country actually aren't the mass shootings. It's the people who have a gun and aren't responsible with it and have never been taught. Yeah. Don't leave a lying gun around where there's a toddler. Absolutely. We both believe in God. Um, we probably express our faith differently, and when it comes to Jesus, um, I would say we have more in common. See, I tell people all the time, although I'm not a practitioner of any Abrahamic religion, the character of Jesus is written in the Bible as one of the greatest loving revolutionaries I've ever seen in terms of the radical and revolutionary love that he had for all of humanity when he was from a chosen people, therefore chosen itself. Um, would you agree? And what do you think about the character or the person or the divine being Jesus? Look, I, I I couldn't live the life I live without him. Um, as much as he is the man, he is the God, um, the the Word, the Creator of all things, who spoke it all into being. Yeah. And I, being so into politics for so long, when I started in radio, I, I spent a lot of time talking about cultural issues as much. Yeah. Started having small churches say, "Hey, would you?" come, the preacher's going to be out, you want to fill in on a Sunday. So it was like, I've never been to seminary. So I went to seminary and, and fell in love all over again with them uh, at a deeper level and understanding of the Bible. And I, it just, it, you know, ironically, finding out I went to a, within denominations, reformed faith, all those churches started calling back. They're like, oh, you went there? Me? I think the preacher, he's, he's actually going to be fine on Sunday. I love to preach. Uh, and it's more intimidating and challenging than me than doing three hours of talk radio. But I just, I couldn't live my life. My wife has a cancer for which there is absolutely no cure. One day it'll get her. And people, atheists, ask me all the time, how can you believe in a God that did this? I'm like, my God loved me so much, he came to earth, lived a perfect life, was still murdered by people, yeah. and conquered death. He didn't give me a way through it, but yeah. he decided to live it too. Absolutely. And that gives me a lot of peace. I, I really appreciate you engaging not only my audience, but your audience lovingly and respectfully. Um, I appreciate the work you're doing at WSB. Appreciate the, the plain talk you give to people. Whether they agree or disagree, what it's not, it's disrespectful. I appreciate that. I appreciate you coming on this show. I'm going to appreciate you having me back. And I'll see you around the elections. We'll see thank you so much. the gubernatorial races and the others. Thank you. All right, thank you, Eric.
If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bottom of Papa. At participating McDonald's.